Welcome, book lovers. We are back. Marissa Serafini here and Phil Svitek once again. We are going to be talking about They Both Die at the End, a book by Adam Silvera. Uh, I first heard about, about this book, thankfully, through Instagram and TikTok. And it's it's now what you call book talk. So, I mean, I personally don't have TikTok. So, like, you know how social media, everything just eventually comes to Instagram. And it came across my feed multiple times over and over again. I was like, all right, fine. I'll read this book. Um, I really enjoyed it. And uh, we'll definitely get into it. So, if you haven't read this book, pause us. Go read the book because it's going to be spoiler-filled. And, Phil, what were your quick thoughts about this book? Yeah, so, I mean... When you talk about spoilers, there's not much to ultimately spoil as far as, you know, they both die at the end. Yeah. Uh, it's very much kind of like that Romeo and Juliet-esque thing where right at the top, you're told what's going to be the ending. And mm -hmm. so you have that dramatic irony. And, and really, it's more about, okay, well, what happens um, and how do we get here? And what does that mean thematically and so forth, right? And so in that sort of same way, um, I felt it work overall really well there was maybe like two-thirds into it where it was starting to drag a little bit and then we got a few more characters involved where i was like okay now we're kind of because it's like you know in a, in a sadistic way you're kind of waiting for them to die like sort of a thing <laughs> like okay this is all cute but what, what are we progressing here um but overall you know um you know minor nitpicks aside i thought it worked well and it is a very tragic story um and i'm excited to get into it yeah, absolutely. I mean, I actually personally have never heard of Adam Silvera. He's written a lot of fantasy books as well, but he's also he's becoming bigger in the LGBTQIA plus community for his writing. And I was like, all right, I'm all in support of that. And we, like he says, and we'll get more into his background, too, as an author. But he personally said that he wants more um lgbtq stories out there on the on bookshelves and this is one that is like really come to the forefront for this community and i can see why people are loving it and it's not heavy-handed in it whatsoever it just happens to be part of these characters you know personality and and their lifestyle and and but the overall thing about this book is that it's not really about that it's about just people and going through their everyday lives and accepting their quote-unquote fate, knowing that these guys are going to die at the end of this book. And um, so we'll get a little bit into it now. Uh, the, the whole premise really is that there's um, there are two, two characters, Rufus and Mateo, and they both get a call on the exact same day from uh, Deathcast. Um, this kind of like an... Uh, this system program that basically warns them they're going to die that day. They only have 24 hours to live. Um, they don't say how. They don't say when and what part of the day. Just the fact that they're going to die. So live your best life. And both of them are like, all right, let's do something about it. And I think that gets the story rolling. Um, so as a plot device, what, what was your thought of this one big thing that gets the story going? Like, did you like how it really kickstarted everything? I mean, you're thrown into it for the most part. Like, right. there's, you know, whatever world building happens, happens after that fact. And so it was a little bit jarring, you know, where you kind of open up of like, he got a call from Deathcast. It's like, whoa, what is this? You know, mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of ultimately left as an unanswered question. I mean, we understand what Deathcast is, but they're never wrong about predicting death. And so it kind of takes on this, I don't know, not supernatural or fantastic element, but uh, very much like, you know, neither here nor there, just worry about the implications. Um, and, and so once I eased into that, um, it was easy to accept, but yeah, I mean, um, just knowing that, that they're never wrong yet. Yeah, you're, you're kind of on this mission of what does this mean for these characters? Right. And so, you know, as a reader, I think we're playing a little bit of catch up, but I think it works to its advantage. Right. Absolutely. And we have these two young guys, Mateo Torres, who's an 18 year old Puerto Rican. And then we have Rufus and Materio, who is a 17 year old Cuban American. So we have the um, 
the the latin culture and the this type of uh nationality um of characters and i really enjoy that because you know they're also american as well so we, we got the uh you know representation there on top of the lgbt um q community as well so like that that's a double hitter in like a very positive way and i think that's also why people are really gravitating towards this because these are characters you don't always see in books and so when you have two of those traits you know that that really makes them more relatable for those who don't have that type of voice out there um but we get the we get mateo and rufus they are like completely different in personalities um mateo is more uh he suffers more from anxiety he's more introverted um he doesn't socialize not a social butterfly whatsoever and and then rufus on the other side is very social, has a lot of friends, um, kind of, not to say lives his life to the fullest, but he definitely goes out and enjoys whatever he's doing. So we have these two kind of polar opposite characters. Um, what were your thoughts of having like these foils to each other? And they they do meet up on the, the Last Friends app. Um, but what, what were your thoughts of having these two different types of characters living out their last day together? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things sort of uh, not necessarily like opposites attract, but I think, you know, each one has what the other one needs and it balances it out, right? Because I think, you know, there's there's a goodness and in inner nature to um, Mateo and kind of where his anxiety stems from, like, you know, there's also a benefit to it, right? He's like, he takes care of his father, you know, his friends and things like that. So he's much more thoughtful in that way let's say right as a generalization um mm-hmm. rufus you know he's got that carefree attitude but it certainly um puts him in certain situations that he shouldn't necessarily be in like i mean we pretty much meet him and you know he's in the middle of this fight that is a big big catalyst that affects a lot of people's lives not just his and so you know i think ultimately as the story progresses obviously they get to this sort of one balance of, you know, see, recognizing the similarities within each other and how they essentially can be more whole. And I think too, you know, and speaking about just them as people, again, like when you talk about it, I think what's nice is their sexual preference or whatever is just one layer to them as a complete character. You know, when, when you talk about three dimensional characters, really it means contradictions, right? I think that's, mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, um, they have all their, idiosyncrasies and stuff like that um and for the most part you know the backdrop of all this you know we might not always see ourselves within them but overall you know as a reader i was certainly working towards of like well what do i what would i do in a situation where you know i had maybe at most 24 hours to live right and so it's an easy sort of avenue in and and also they're in new york so like um, I think even at least from movies, if nothing else, if you've never been, you know, it's an exciting sort of avenue versus like, I don't know, being somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Somewhere from Illinois that I was from. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like how you brought that up because like you said, they are in New York. They are in a busy, bustling city. They have options and opportunities to go enjoy life. Um and I, th- this was one thing that, like, again, you kind of have to suspend your disbelief in this book. But uh, I, I do like the kind of the updated technology that we have. Um, they have this, this basically like a make a wish kind of um, place that they go to, and they, you know, and they experience like the the life adventures, like skydiving, base jumping, like all the 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 thrill kind of um, adventures that you might not normally get in your regular life. Um, but it's like all condensed in one place. And uh, I, I like that. They're like, yeah, let's let's go to this. Let's try to like fit as many of those last wish kind of things on uh, bucket list kind of opportunities we can. Um, so what were your thoughts of this kind of opportunity that was available to them and how this, I mean, we know in real world, we don't have this available to us, but so like the advancement of the technology, especially with the last app, this wish list kind of thing, um, 
what were your thoughts of that? Yeah, I mean, it seems it seems sort of like a natural progression. Like it, if this was a real thing of, you know, that you would get a call that essentially you're going to die today, then this seems like a natural progression, right? So it felt very much in world in that way. And it ought, like, you, it's always interesting when books sort of find you at a, at a time when you kind of like need them in a sense. And because mm-hmm. I don't know, for whatever reason through work, um, a lot of podcasts that I've been working on have been related to almost using death as this way, you, you know, and the idea of death as a way to push yourself to live. Um, Cause in an odd way, like we all know in our head that we all die, but, it, and yet we still otherize it of like, well, everyone else dies. And not that we say it out loud, but it's like, we'll live forever. And so we don't take certain risks and whatever. And working backwards from your death and your eulogy and stuff like that, you essentially could and should map out your life and live it to its fullest. And certain, you know, and certainly in this sense, like, you know, the closest I think we come to real world stuff is unfortunately of like someone being told, Hey, you have a disease and it's terminal. Right. And, you know, in that sense, you don't quite know of like, okay, is it going to be six months, could be shorter, could be longer, but you start to reevaluate how you go about certain things. Um, So it's, you know, I think, I think it offers a lot of that philosophical ideology and, and it's interesting, even the way people interact with them of like, you know, sorry to like lose you. When in reality, it's like the people that most of the people that are saying it to them have no connection whatsoever. And yet right. it's, it, it's a beautiful idea if we like just as a society, like actually cared about each other more. Um, but it also feels very societal in the sense, like it's just such a fake thing that we would probably say had we had this technology. Right. So we never get to a ultimately what, what Mateo and Rufus represent is getting beyond the surface level of human connection and really going to that full depth, you know, Absolutely. Um, the world travel arena, that's what this place is called, that like gives them all the opportunities to travel to different places that they never could in their entire life, all within a day. Um, but I love how you br- brought that up. You know, s- some people know when they're going to die so when it comes to like terminal illnesses or, or health issues. And that's the difference between Rufus and Mateo, that these are two young guys, um, teenagers that are seemingly healthy and they get this unfortunate news that they're going to die. So, you know, it's not really going to be a health. It's not like you're going to contract a disease and die in a day, hopefully. Um, but so it's it's something situational and something environmental that they kind of know is going to um, that'll be <laughs> what kills them. And and I love how it, it, there's this lingering suspense throughout the entire story because you're following these guys and the way it's written is in chronological at timestamps throughout the day, like 8.32 a.m., 8.35 a.m. So we're like literally following them hour by hour. And every time you're reading it, you're like, is this it? Could this could this be the thing that kills them? You know, when they get on the subway, the subway shuts down. You're like, oh, no, is another train going to crash into them? Or, you know, so there's always this like lingering fear of, oh, you really don't know when they're going to die or how they're going to die. And I found that exciting (laughs) because it kept me on my toes and kept me engaged throughout. Uh, How about you? Did you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, certainly because it it mattered to the characters, right? So it put me in their shoes. I mean, they were talking about not getting in an elevator, right? And just think about Mm -hmm. it in that sense. I mean, how many times do we just not consider that whatsoever? And fine, maybe you might like walk up the stairs if it's a short enough flight. But like, if you're going to go to the 10th floor, (laughs) you know, you're not (laughs) taking the stairs. Um, And, you know, there was that always lingering and, and perhaps hope on my part as well, just like theirs of like, maybe, maybe they can overcome this. Maybe they could be the first Mm -hmm. people to not die, you know? Um, And yeah, obviously, you know, and, and thematically, I mean, how, Certainly, Matteo passed away. Um, talk about, uh, you know, um, what do they call it? Chekhov's gun sort of a moment, right? Like the way they oh, set it off completely, um, you know, unsuspecting for me. And then when it happened, you're like, oh, that was inevitable. Right. And oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we're getting there as um, 
uh, we'll go back and cover more more details, but especially with Mateo's death, um, because it's one of those things when he gets the notice that he's going to die. And then he's like, okay, these are all the people I have to talk to. These are all the things I have to get done beforehand. He's like, I have to tell my landlord about my stove. It's been on the fritz. I have to do X, Y, and Z. I have to talk to my father. So like, and I think that's the the brilliant thing of the writing that it's just like such a small, quick nugget that's dropped and you don't even think about it because you literally read it in like two seconds and you're on to the next thing. And then that comes back and that ends up being how he dies. It, the the stove explodes and just because he was wanting to make tea and you're like, oh, crap, that was it. And not to say we should have known, but we did know about it. We didn't know that this could have been an environmental factor that ends him because we have heard of stories of, you know, things combusting in houses, caught catching fires, you know, people dying that way. You know, like it's just a small little detail that's brushed over that became the biggest thing um, when it came to this character's fate. And I thought that was brilliant. I didn't see it coming. Oddly, very like sadistically poetic, right? Because, I mean, they had things falling on them. They could have gotten killed by gunfire, like all these horrific things. And the one thing that like caused this was, yeah, I mean, and which begs the question, I mean, we can work backwards from this too, of like, you know, was it worth it? Was it not? Perhaps that's not the best way to phrase that question, but like in a sense, you know, you, you start to wonder then because they kind of wondered a little bit, like, are they the cause of each other's death? And conclusively it's kind of like, yes, they are. So would they have better been better off never meeting and yet their life in that moment, like they truly lived a full life even within that one day, whereas most people don't even in a lifetime. So it's like a catch 22 almost. Yeah, uh, agreed. And it's one of those things, but it's not to say that each other were the cause of each other's death, um, but them being together and spending so much time all day and doing all these different going to different places, seeing a lot of different people. Um, but like eventually, eventually their adventures brought them back to the area and the places of which they died. And that's where you have the question, like if I wasn't with them, would we have ended up here, which would have caused X, Y, Z. And th those are the life's mystery questions, you know? And I, I think that's, that's what I loved about this book is that it really does make you think like if God forbid you did get that message, like you are going to die today. What are you going to do? And that's the what the the author wanted to, to write in a story. Like how would people affect that? Would people just completely shut down or would people, you know, go out and live their best life? Because you have Rufus, who's pretty personable. He has a lot of friends. He actually has experienced death a lot. He's been exposed to it. His whole family is gone. He's living in a foster um, community and he has foster friends like that, but he's been exposed to death. So he's kind of, not to say desensitized to it, but he kind of knows how to approach it better than what Mateo does. And I think that's why Rufus is more, not to say nonchalant about it, but he seems like more accepting of his fate because he sees death more than um, the Mateo. And I, I like that because you had one person who's more calmer about the situation and another person who's kind of like, not to say freaking out, but like really getting that nervous anxiety um, panics of like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm losing time. And uh, so they, they balance each other out in that way. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, for me, Rufus wasn't, like, he seemed calm, but I think it was more of an apathy to begin with. And like I said, I think they brought each other to this, like, goodness, right? Where, like, you know, Rufus's apathy turned into more of a humanity and rather than be fully scared of everything, it's like, at a certain point, you have to live. Um, so that was kind of Mateo's journey. And the idea of, you know, could they have lived sort of a thing, I think... You know, it's a, as you mentioned, it's a question that can plague us. 
but interestingly enough, like at least how I grapple it with within my own life, like there's things I can control. There, there, you know, uh, as Byron Katie would say, like there's your business, other people's business, and then they call it God, call it universe, that business, right? And so, you know, the whole idea of coulda, shoulda, woulda, it's like that's not my business, you know, like and. Mm -hmm. So I think where they got to was, I don't know, th this realm of just acceptance and, and living in a more pure and loving life, you know, and accepting things as they are and making the best of it. Um, and so it was beautiful in that sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And I loved, uh, I loved the slow progression of Mateo's character. I think he had the most character growth in the 24 hours of uh, because you know he starts off he's introverted his his instagram are only pictures of black and white he doesn't go out and socialize he really doesn't have a lot of friends he has one me yeah he has one more meaningful friend lydia who gets all upset at him being like, I'm your best friend. You sh you should have told me that you're gonna die. I want to see you. So again, like I completely understand because I personally am more introverted. So I I understand those. Yeah, he has more. Uh, he has less amount of people, but they're better in quality. Um, Lydia being his best friend, uh, and it was her idea to go to the World Travel Arena, anyways. Um, so the it's not about the quantity; it's about the quality of relationships. And he eventually gets to, you know, have his last words with Lydia and then have his last words with his father, who's been in a coma. So well, what did you think of this moment where he finally gets to, like, say what he's been meaning to say? Because usually you kind of see it on the opposite end where you're in your deathbed and then you say all your regrets in life and all your big secrets and stuff. But. He's not, he, but he knows he's going to die. So he's saying all of his personal things, the last things to get off of his chest. So, so what do you think of that kind of role reversal he finally had with his father? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's a tough one, right? I mean, because, you know, I think ultimately, you know, you get the sense that his dad's going to love him no matter what. And had he, you know, been conscious enough to hear him, they would have been like, oh, no big deal. Like, you know, I, I love you, son, type of thing. Um, but it's, yeah, I think there there's a benefit to just getting off, you know, your chest no different than for, like, Rufus, just being able to be with his friends one last time because, you know, the, his funeral, as they called it, was disrupted. Um, you know, I think that was ultimately, like, the closure that they needed that obviously – a lot of us in life don't necessarily get unless we're like really conscious to always tell people we love them, you know, when we call that, like all that stuff, right. That you think, that you know, intrinsically you should do, but most mm -hmm. of us never like think about twice, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I think it, it, and, and like, it's interesting the duality of Rufus and Mateo in terms of death, because Rufus, witnessed his, his family dying. Um, Mateo lost his mom, but he wasn't really caught. He wasn't aware of it. Right. Cause it happened at birth. Um, and as far as like, like Lydia lost her husband and yes, death cast like notified him and he tried to get to her. Um, but it's not, you know, but as far as like seeing it, you know, it wasn't like a direct involvement, right? So there's a little bit of disconnect yeah. of like what that fully means of losing somebody. Yeah, and it was kind of like uh, Lydia's redemption too, because she couldn't tell the person that she loves and didn't have that proper moment to tell the person that she loves goodbye in that way. This is kind of like her second chance um, being able to get to, to Mateo and be like, I'm going to help you live your best life or at least properly say goodbye because you do mean a lot to me in that way so it's uh um it does affect a lot of people the these two young guys um you know they they do have a lot of people in their life that actually care about them which is nice um because they i don't feel like they're truly going through this alone when you have other people you know being there to support you and reinforcing and reassuring that they are loved. So they're not leaving this world uh, um, 
hospice, like no, no memories of them, what have you. So like, I think it kind of leaves them on a better note knowing that they're leaving being loved. Um, Yeah. And obviously there's no one correct way, just like in life. Right. I mean, each of the characters, the supporting characters has their version of how they feel like is the best way. Right. So you certainly have Rufus, some of Rufus's friends, you know, to continuing to make jokes and laugh about stuff because that's just how it is, right? And right. The Plutos. We have yeah. Amy, Malcolm, and Tego. Um, they're his his foster siblings who, you know, kind of become their basically the the close his family, basically. And uh uh you you can tell that they really do care about Rufus. Absolutely. And I think it I think Tego in particular, he's the one who's just never gonna be taking himself or anything serious. Um, and so he's the one that's like the jokester in all this. Uh, Amy is certainly the one that emotionally takes it the hardest. And, you know, she's conflicted, which, you know, at a certain point, I definitely want to talk about the whole, um, you know, uh, the whole sort of her boyfriend and, and the fight aspect of all of it. Because I thought that was interesting. But, you know. Yeah, do let's. Let's let's do it. You brought it up. Um, cause you, you mentioned before that Rufus, well, like that, that is the benefit of getting the, the notice of, Hey, you're going to die. So, um, very rarely, <laughs> I mean, not ever that people who die can attend the funeral. So Rufus and the Plutos put on this funeral, this service for him. It gets interrupted by Peck cause Peck, um, is all jealous. He, he just started dating Amy, um, and he doesn't like Rufus, and Rufus beat him up, and uh, and be- the- Rufus beat him up before the service. But now Rufus, uh, and now sorry, uh, now Peck is you know crashing the service and like really ruining it. So your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, all that happens very early on, and you you know you're trusting in that moment enough to like tr- see that okay, um, there must be something to Amy and Peck. Um, and ultimately, you know, it's interesting, like as time went on, I didn't fully, I mean, I understood it from a, you know, heady sort of perspective of why Amy and Peck were together, but I never also got the sense like that this was like a guy that I wanted Amy to be with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was, you know, unfortunate in all those respects and it doesn't, you know, and I, I appreciate that Rufus really grappled with the idea that like he shouldn't have done that and that that was his mistake and you know the 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 weight of all of it but yeah i mean i, I overall like there was various storyline like the peck storyline um i didn't necessarily mind you know lydia's story storyline i thought worked um i thought towards like the middle to late part we started getting a lot of like various other characters and not that i you know, I could keep them straight in my mind overall, but it became a little bit like, okay, what what is this adding to the story versus not, you know? Yeah. We tend to have a habit of reading books that has like 30 plus characters. <laughs> that That's like a, a running theme with us. Um, but unfortunately, this book, like the two main characters, you can kind of easily keep track of Rufus and Mateo. But then you you said that the side characters. So these guys aren't the only ones who get this notice of their death. They're like, this is a service that calls out thousands of people each day. And, and what I actually enjoyed about this book, which I feel like it added some balance. Um, you get all these um, B characters as well, who also get the same messages and you get females, you get older gentlemen's you know you get younger people so you you get the perspective of other people and how some think it's a joke some um completely just brush it off be like and eh, this is probably spam whatever um and they go about living their lives and or or they're so defiant of it that they're in such denial and so what were your thoughts of like the different perspectives that aren't these two main guys of how they lived their life on their last day yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting. Again, it was, it was part of just like trying to juggle it all and seeing where it fit into the overall story, because ultimately it does tie a bow around all of it overall. Right. 
you know, how neat of a bow it is, you know, can be up for debate, but, you, and it also, most of the chapters, like when it introduced a new character, like Lydia, you know, it would say something to the effect of Lydia did not get a call from Deathcast this morning because she is not dying. <laughs> right. So you kind of yes. find who's going to live, who's going to die. And, you know, for the most part, if anything, like we definitely like it was interesting that Mateo's and Rufus's sort of favorite um, actor, the, the actor that yeah. played very like it was it was that character. Maldonado. Howie Maldonado. Yes. So he, yeah. he got the call um, and then that became a big thing. And then there's like a whole journalistic side to it where, you know, this girl's at like, you know, the low end of the totem pole, so to speak. Um, but she really knows the, this person's life. And so she wants to be part of telling his story. And she gets that opportunity by essentially weaseling her way into it, which is good for her. Um, right. but yeah, like we, we, we start to track and then, but then also we like track even, so we introduce like Peck and we track him for a little bit. And then even like Peck's like, um, you know, people that he knows that like just basically crush bodies, <laughs> <laughs> which he's recruiting to like beat the crap out of Rufus. So it's like all of a sudden you get a lot of splintering offs, um, at a certain point, which, you know, comes back by, by the end, but, but also like, I'm curious just even in general, how you think rufus dies like because it's it's hinted at very strongly but it's never like outright stated because obviously mm -hmm. he's sort of narrating his his own story and he can't narrate his own death because it ends yes. uh yeah it i mean i read it as i actually had to read the end twice because it ended it it ended so fast um, I was like, wait, wait, oh, oh, okay. I had one of those moments. Um, he was watching a video of Mateo, and it's implied that he stepped off the curb while busy watching the video and wasn't paying attention to his surroundings, and he got hit by, I'm assuming, a car or some vehicle, some fast vehicle. So he got hit while walking off of a curb. But it, and wasn't it the girl that's the journalist? She was in the car. Mm -hmm. See, that's a good question. I might have missed that. Because she survived. I forget. Because she survived the car crash with the actor. Yeah, there's a lot of like. Right. And well, that, I mean, that's, that also begs the question because we are like late at night. We're almost like to midnight. These guys almost literally lasted to midnight. And uh yeah, I crossed the stream without an arm to hold me back. This, the last entry is at 10.36 p.m. So, I mean, it's it's later at night. Um, but, no, that's a good question. I never really thought about that. Could it have been? I think, because I think, All right. as I recall, and I could be conflating two different elements, so apologies for that, but <laughs> right. um, the girl thought it was a joke that she got the call because she knows someone that works at Deathcast. You know, she had a relationship with somebody that worked at Deathcast, and so she thought it was a trick being played on her. You're right. But then she got. Then it was like, wait. You know, when she called him, it got a little bit very grave. Of like, I didn't do that, and it was like, oh crap, you're gonna die today. Right, and and then she has that whole regret, like. Oh crap! Like most of the day is almost gone. I completely wasted it. Um, so like she has that you know kind of grenade of a response, that delayed response. That and you and you see how these other side characters. You know, you got the wrestler Finn Pierce. You got the wrestler who's just bitter on life. He's like, yeah, I should have died a long time ago. Finally, it's here. And then we had um. Uh. uh Dalma Young, who's the the founder of the last app, um, so like, and I I loved how you know because we're we're following Mateo and Rufus throughout the city, and they're you know they're on the subway, they're in the parks, they're they're here, they they run into a lot of 
people. I mean, it is, you know, the city. And and I think that's the the brilliance of it, because when you get the side characters, their stories, they're like, yeah, and I saw these two kids running. They almost crashed into me, you know, so like eventually everyone crossed paths. These guys crossed everybody's paths and it kind of just goes to show like it is a small world. And I think that's um, really good because that's another way of how Adam Silvera, the author, could write other characters there we know that there is a prequel book to this that's based on two other different characters um completely um, there there was um uh, again hopefully i'm getting all the facts right but like uh through the last friend app there was someone that mateo kind of connected but blew off and it was a girl and then she became friends with somebody else and they were on the subway and it kind of was a nice mirror to Mateo and Rufus because they ultimately needed to find each other. So I thought that was like a little beautiful moment. Um, and all. Yeah. So yeah, eventually like everyone kind of connects to each other in some facet, you know, they, they branch out in different ways. And I think it's, it's actually really good writing because it just shows that there are so many characters in this book that you could go and write about their lives for that day. Um, the the different parallel stories that could be going on at the same time, which is you know that's fun. I totally would read that as well. Um, the the prequel is called uh, "The First to Die at the End," uh, also about two different guys. Um, I haven't read it, <laughs> but after this book, I'd be curious to read it because um, I think just I I like the overall pacing of it because we had the the time stamp entries chronological kind of like journalistic in it or you know when you write journals um your entries in, in that way and each chapter wasn't super long they're like maybe five pages at most and then we jumped back and forth and uh i personally like the 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 writing style uh how about you did you like how we kept the story going yeah, overall, like I said, I mean, I thought it worked well. It progressed well. It was just, um, there was just like a part, maybe it was like 4 or 5 p.m., let's say, where it was like, okay, where's the progressive complication for Mateos and Rufus? It's like, we're having fun. We're, I think it was like a series of like three chapters of we're just having fun. And I was like, that's great. Right. Where's, where's, where's the inner turmoil? Um, but apart from that, yeah, I mean, it, like, like I said, I mean, it weaves this tapestry of, elegance and um at no point did i not think it was headed somewhere um and yeah how it all kind of plays out was really fun and gives you a lot to think about and i think you know certainly rounds out the world for you to really consider of all these different things i mean just the fact and again this is like the heinous side of you can imagine this being real you know you have this last friend app and you have a last friend serial killer Right. Right. Preying on these people. And um, yeah, so it's just kind of like, you know, you you see the both the good side of life and you also see the horrific side of, you know, all this. And it's like, yeah, every advancement throughout humanity can be very, very good. Right. Very, very crappy. Yeah. And you just like. Well, like you said, humanity is just like you get this serial killer who's just taking advantage of people, like vulnerable people, um, especially when it's their last day. They're they're emotional. They're not thinking straight. They're not doing what they normally would be doing that day. So to to blindside them and to kill them, which is, you know, even worse. But it's not far from what humans do do it's it's really crappy in human nature that there are people like that and it's sick it's sick and twisted um i'm glad that we didn't really like fully get into that but it is disheartening to know that there are people like that out in the world and i think that's why you have to be you know that is the cautionary tale of um online profiles and dating and you just have to be careful and vet and be be careful who you're talking to and who who you're putting your trust in because catfishing is real. Um, I want to get a little bit into so we, we I mean we see the the progression of Mateo and pulling back those layers and him like slowly actually like now starting to enjoy life. His fear of the world is um, kind of depleting and he's unfortunately it is his last day, but I feel like it got a little 
too late that you're like, oh, it took it literally took you the the kick in the ass to be like, all right, now you're dying. Now you have to enjoy life. And um, but I, I loved how he finally like let his guard down and he was starting to truly enjoy what he was doing. Um, and the the whole message of um, not doing it alone, the human connection, doing it with Rufus. Uh, what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's like anything in life, right? I think we can very easily feel regret over X, Y, and Z. But I think we just need to learn to have grace with ourselves. And it's like, okay, you know, it doesn't have to be a death thing. But like, let's say you have some sort of, you know, emotional transformation, whatever it may be, right? And it's like, okay, cool. Now just live out your life in the best way that you can moving forward. And what once was what are you going to do about it? You know what I mean? Um, take the lessons, but don't berate yourself over all of it. Um, and I think that that was the transformation for Mateo. You know, he learned to really live. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for him. You know, I mean, obviously I don't wish he that, that he died, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, that is the, I mean, it's kind of like the tragedy in real life too. I mean, you know, accidents sort of happen or through unknown reasons you know someone eats well takes care of their body and yet you know the bell tolls for them way too soon it's like yeah that's just unfortunately the reality of the world yeah and i think if you're going to get anything out of this book i think the overall message is um live your life to the fullest and do it with the people who you love don't do it alone because that's not a full life. Um, and I think especially us three, you know, like um, us two going through the last three years of the pandemic, we quickly realize how important it is to be social, how important it is we rely on family and friends to keep living Um you know, because when we're forced to put distance between us, like we are human creatures, we are social creatures and social beings that we need that human interaction. Um, and I, I definitely got it <laughs> in this book. I definitely understood like the need to reach out to those um, who you care about because you never know. You, you never know. Like, I mean, Mateo could have not been brave enough to get out of his bedroom and he could have died all alone. And because he has he doesn't have a lot of people in his life, who who would have known he he would have died? Who? Yeah. So and I think, you know, this isn't necessarily related to the book. Although you could like kind of lump it in. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's tangential, but in the same way, I think, you know, there are times where people think that they want to be a burden to somebody else or perhaps they feel like, you know, nobody else cares. And for whatever it's worth, I think just, I I mean, it all started with the simple act of, you know, Mateo in this instance, um, you know, call it brave enough to reach out on the last friends app and putting himself out there. Right. And yes, you know, he did the vetting as you said, but then, you know, he really did take that leap of faith on, on a Rufus. So I think, you know, I'm not saying it has to be with a stranger, but I think um, I think too many times we feel like we don't want to be a burden on the people in our lives, like Mateo with Lydia. And it's like, no, no, give them that opportunity because it's much for them as it is for you. And, you know, if they're truly your friend, they'll want to help and they'll see it as a as a way to you know, give back, so to speak, or however they may term it. Right. And I completely understand it's like that I am an introvert. So it's like I personally... Like when something happens to me, I don't like to go out and tell people exactly what it is. I like to deal with it myself because it's my problem. No one else should have to deal with it. Again, that burden aspect that you said. But I, I think it's when you have to like realize like, oh, no, I should reach out because that's healthy. Um, and the people who do truly care about you and love you will help in that way. They won't see it as a burden. They'll 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 help you go through whatever it is you're going through um again that human interaction that we all need it's uh it's very important <laughs> it's uh it's healthy it's healthy um it's needed i mean you know yeah, I mean, absolutely thing, like 
to get really like one of the woes of the world is like it just tries to create these automatons out of us where we're so separate blah 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 and just it's like you know and if anything yeah the daily struggle you know kind of keeps us separated like we're trying to all just float and do our best and so yeah it becomes just very problematic where you know none of us do have time for each other we would like to but we're all just like trying to just get through the damn day most of the time you know yeah. um, so it is rough in that way and i think you know we all just have to recognize that you know what we can get off the damn ferris wheel and let's just all help each other out yeah absolutely um so anything else about this book any any other things that we may have accidentally missed or skipped over um that you might have want to bring up um i mean i'm sure there's plenty of stuff that we could could have gone down but i think overall we did it you know good enough job um certainly i invite anybody who's watching or listening to comment or hit us up on social media um and we can go into more depth but i think you know i certainly would be talking just for the sake of talking right um yeah so again like i said at the top uh written by adam silvera i had never heard of him um but a little bit about him he was born and raised in new york he now lives in la los angeles um and he worked in the publishing industry as a children's bookseller um and so he and he was a book reviewer for children and young adult novels but he uh being puerto rican um who more looks like uh, he he says himself the character um is white passing puerto rican like i am uh, my white passing was a privilege that i came to understand uh, more after the 2016 election and was pre- previously ignorant to the fact that he had a lot of benefits as the white man does um but that like so that kind of like uh was the catalyst for these characters is that um that's not how he would describe himself and, and that's not personally like the their ethnicities were in in no way affected like their everyday life or like what they did and their decisions. And, and I saw that, um, and he, but he wanted to write more characters like himself, um, into these stories. And so he has more books like that. And, you know, I personally enjoy that because, you know, representation, it's like, I, I rarely see, and maybe this could be me, um, but I haven't seen a lot of Filipino writers out there, or I haven't read a lot of Filipino American stories. I would love to see more of that. So to be that author who's aware of that and actually doing and um, doing it and putting it out there for other people to make it relatable, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I think too, like for me, I, th- I think the way I consider it, like, um, you know, all that stuff is out there. Um, cause I, I, I was noticing like there being a huge void and sort of just stories that I want to read, um, and diversify and they're out there. The problem is a lot of them don't get amplified. Right. And so that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I appreciate about obviously what Adam's doing, but also what we're trying to do in our own way is to, you know, highlight amazing authors that don't appear on the top. I mean, this one, you know, uh, it is on the New York Times bestseller um, type of thing, but just in general, bringing more awareness to, um, you know, just the quality of writing that exists out there that often is overlooked. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I believe that there was uh, HBO with J.J. Um, Adams' company, Bad Robot. Um, I think they, they were working on adapting this book into a series. I don't know um where that has gone how far along it is in the development process but if it does come to fruition i would totally watch it um but the chronological writing that are you know that is this book so you can easily take it like hour by hour um and follow these characters along i I am along for the ride for sure yeah and i i mean you know unfortunately hbo and warner brothers discovery is kind of uh up in the air right now so yeah i think uh if anything does come it'll be a couple of years here and there but but it would be cool to see for sure um but yeah very, absolutely very overall exciting absolutely all right so phil our next book is 
The World We Make by N.K. Jemison. So very well-regarded author, an author that a few of my friends have read, not the book we're about to read, but, you know, she has different trilogies and stuff like that. Um, Neil Gaiman speaks highly of her. Um, and so I want to kind of dive into the fantasy realm. And so it's The World We Make. Um, that's the book that we're going to tackle next next month. And then awesome. You, or uh, for April, lined up as well. Yeah, um, I, I was debating. I was like, what? Like, I've had this book for a while now. The Water for Elephants. There there has been the movie adaptation, um, but I haven't seen the movie either. So I was like, all right, I'm very well aware of the story. I know it's out there. Um, and I think it'd be a good opportunity for us to read. And it takes place back in the early 1900s, I believe during the Depression era. So like late 20s, 30s era. Um, and I think it's good because we, I feel like we've been reading a lot of fantasy, which is great. Um, but to get back into like more time periods, I think would be a nice switch for us. Yeah. And also to um, just the layout kind of we're going to there's a lot of authors who, you know, join book clubs. So we're going to try to also pick some books based around that. And if you have any suggestions of authors that you know known for doing that and who have written you know good books that might be of interest for us to discuss you know let us know um i think we marissa and i love talking about books but it's also you know we, we, we want to get the answers from the from the source itself sometimes yeah absolutely that'd be fun all right phil where can everyone follow you at phil speed tech and as mentioned you know um, whatever we didn't hit, because I'm sure there's, like I said, plenty of avenues to discuss, you know, just, just hit us up on social media or comment down below. There you go. And you can follow me at Serafini TV. Thanks, everyone, for listening, watching, tuning in and reading with us. Hopefully you join us for our next few books down the line. And uh, we will talk to you about our next book. Mm-hmm.